Wes here. We're going to get right to today's episode, but first, I wanted to make you aware of something. Over the weekend of May 5th to 7th, Troy and I will be up at Camp Madiba near Halliburton, Ontario, along with four other speakers running our very first Ontario Leadership Summit. The Ontario Leadership Summit seeks to bring together aspiring Christian leaders from across the province for an incredible weekend of networking and equipping. This is an opportunity for young professionals and student leaders aged 19 to 30 to meet one another and grow together, being given the opportunity to learn, be mentored, develop as mentors themselves, and thrive as Christian leaders where God has placed them right here and right now. To find out more and to register, you can go to apologeticscanada.com and click the link under the events section on the homepage. We're so excited to see you out this spring. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to part two of We Need to Talk, where we discuss our reflections on the AC conference. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Let's jump into some some of the pushback. What would you guys say to this? This is one of the pushbacks that, that, that I heard, and that is, why was there not more time given or, you know, would this be a fair critique that maybe more time should be given to injustices or at least acknowledging that that injustices have happened and, and currently do happen. Mm, like in this, so this was specifically a response to CRT, the CRT conversation. Yeah. Yeah. The woke conversation. We'll see that. I think that's a, a misunderstanding of what the conversation was about because the conversation wasn't one like uh, trying to disregard, you know, the injustices and things that have happened. The conversation around CRT was specific to being around why CRT is can be so problematic in the wrong hands. And I think that even that question speaks to a little bit because you almost ignore everything that was said in regards to CRT and you go and pinpoint the, the injustices. Neil and, and Monique fully acknowledged the injustices. They in, acknowledged systemic racism. They acknowledged, mm-hmm. you know, things like redlining. But the reason they they had this conversation is because CRT wants you to stop at injustices and and not see the damage that can happen when you keep looking at life through that lens. Yeah, I I would agree with that. That was actually one of the reasons why I asked this question. That wasn't even actually part of the Slido thing. This wasn't the question that came in, but I just wanted to make sure. Let's make sure that we understand what you're not saying. You're not saying that racism isn't real. Yeah, and they did say that. and and they did say that they acknowledge here racism is real, injustices are real. And but I think Troy, you're right. This wasn't the conversation, right? In, injustice per se wasn't the conversation. It's what we do with these injustices, real or perceived, because critical race theory or any critical theory is really a heuristic tool. Like, what what do you do with these things that you find in society? What do you make of it? And it's the it's the sort of the grid, the the lens through which you interpret these things. And what Monique and Neil are saying is that this is not the best way. This this is actually divisive. It, yeah. it creates anger. It, it doesn't foster unity. And often like, it leads you down the wrong way. It's incorrect cr- sometimes, right? Neil gives uh, an interesting gave an il- interesting illustration. He's like, it's like spraining your ankle 
and then having somebody cut off your foot to yeah. solve your sprained ankle. Yeah. Uh, what's the phrase that he used? Uh, that the cure is not worse than uh, the the disease, right? That you're not overreacting to yeah. something that uh, is real, right? As as both Troy and and Steve are saying, it's a both and situation. Two things can be true at the same time. Racism is real and it is a problem. And yeah. yet, through this critical theory worldview perspective, this lens, what it ends up doing is that it actually starts to reframe all of the definitions. And I think especially with this being, you know, we can ask the question is, why is this a Christian conversation? Well, I think ultimately, we believe that racism is a sin. And as both Neil and Monique talked about, if we start to go down the route of critical theory, we start to redefine racism so that it's possible for some and not for others. And I think that becomes problematic because it says, well, actually some sins are impossible to commit based on your ethnicity or your race. And I don't think that makes sense biblically. I think that when we start to parse out sin in those ways, um, we start to actually go at minimum beyond what the text says, but probably actually contradict what the text of Scripture actually articulates. Lastly, one of one of the really important things that um, Monique and, and Neil were talking about was how you look historically how, and this conversation has been in this this circle for a while, but where the oppressed becomes the oppressor once liberation has happened. Because liberation can happen in a community, but without a, an actual healing. And this is what I loved is how you take all of these, what felt can feel very academic in nature, and they were able to sift it down to that eight-year-old thing of this is the loving people portion, where the only healing that can truly happen where someone who was oppressed can start healing so that they don't return that is is through the love of Jesus. and And them explaining what, the ministry of reconciliation really is. It's a ministry of salvation reconciliation, reconciling us back to God, not reconciliation between races, not or, or even genders, right? If Jesus is saying on one hand, hey, I've come to cut between these domestic relationships, okay, then restoration can truly only be found in him. And and I really love that that they were that that they articulated that because that for me really, really uh, probably was my, and I was going to ask you guys what your highlight of the conference was, because that that conversation was probably one of my one of my major highlights for the weekend. Uh, I think one of the things that that came out that is important for people to appreciate is we are agreeing that injustice exists. How do you deal with that? But also, what are we calling? What are we even labeling this though? And what I saw that I think is important is Neil explaining how did we get here and Monique saying, we, if we're going to, if we're going to get biblical unity, you know, we have to do that through what the Bible says is actually going to bring restoration and not what culture, because guys, I don't know how this sits with you, but when I look at critical race theory, I just see reincarnated injustice that it, it never actually deals with injustice. It just keeps popping up in different in different ways. It's like you have to just deal with injustice. It's like the whack-a-mole. You know, it's never something that you can actually get, you know, deal with. You're just constantly um if if anything, creating more injustice. How do you actually get forgiveness and get reconciliation? Well, well this is where we gotta bring sorry. in the Bible. Yeah, and I think that's what when Neil described the background of it coming um, from the Frankfurt School and you know some 
some origins within uh, uh, socialism and what ended up becoming Marxist-Leninist communism is the idea of the oppressor and the oppressee, as you talked about, Troy, in that there's always someone striving, right? For Marx, it was the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And in regards to race, it's the power dynamic of, uh, you know, whites or Caucasians and then um, blacks or African-Americans, right? And there's always going to be someone. One thing I think I'd like to mention, though, quickly is, Steve, you know, some people might say, hey, is this stuff actually going on? But you and I were at a church in Halifax. And why don't you explain to listeners what we saw? Yeah, so we were at a church in Halifax. It was one of the bigger churches. Um, And at the end of the service, as they were making announcements, this lady came up uh, clearly uh, with an African background. Uh, She had the accent. Uh, I think she might have been from Nigeria. I'm not sure exactly where. I'm not very good with distinguishing African accents. But anyway, she came up and she straight up promoted uh, a government-sponsored program where you're talk through implicit and unconscious bias. Right. And it was she was full out in support. And she counted as such an honor to be able to uh, help teach this class. And the whole church leadership, well, maybe I shouldn't say the whole church leadership, church leadership that I saw on stage that day uh, was in full support of it. And that was rather concerning to me. Uh, not not so much about the unconscious bias or or implicit bias, those kinds of things, but that this was being promoted in the church from the leadership kind of level down. Um, because I have some understanding of everything else that comes with this thing. But, you know, if you talk to Neil and Monique, they'll tell you that at some point this starts to work like a worldview that's at the end of the day, they believe irreconcilable with Christianity. It's weird, isn't it, that the Bible gives us uh, a way of dealing, this is the gospel, of dealing with brokenness and seeking forgiveness and reconciliation that it, it like, I don't know, guys, am I am I out to lunch here that we would take our cues for dealing with forgiveness and reconciliation from the cult, from secular culture uh, and these different ideologies? Well, and this is just it. I, this is why when you, when you have not looked at the Bible, like it, it seems very simple, but when you have not looked at the Bible and what it says about the root of said issues and you're looking for the fruit it's very, very difficult to find. Like, it's very difficult to navigate. The thing that we get caught up in with the church oftentimes is we take our marching orders or we take our uh, ways of communicating these things from secular culture. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with, uh, you know, accepting what the secular culture has to offer in the sense that yeah, there is general revelation. There's God's common grace. So our our friends in the secular world might have something of worth to offer. But my worry is kind of like what Troy was saying. When we start taking marching orders from the secular culture, even the the things that are not reconcilable with the gospel, 
And so when we start putting that, I mean, I think at the end of the day, ultimately, we have to interpret whatever the secular culture has to offer through the lens of a biblical worldview. I think that's a... Uh, and that's when I start to have concerns. That's yeah. an important idea that Neil brought up as well, is that you need to appreciate that critical theory is a worldview. Yeah. And people, for right or wrong, want are willing, I guess, to look through that worldview and say, okay, you know, what what can be redeemed out of this? Because I think that will be one feedback that, you know, people might have. And then we have heard from some people saying, hey, not everything is bad with, you know, CRT, or there are some things redeemable. And, and, and we've we've heard that even from different speakers at the conference in the past that that would that would see that. Now I thought it was interesting because when I was driving Neil to the airport, I brought up that critique to him, and he he's like, "Yeah, I get that." He goes, "But but you need to appreciate that CRT is a is a poisonous worldview." And I think that that that's an important thing to appreciate. He's like, "It's so intermixed that it becomes very difficult to tease out the poison." And if yeah. that's the case, then then you got to ask yourself, well, why am I not just adopting a biblical worldview of this, of reconciliation and forgiveness without the poison? Exactly. Well, and Andy, I think that poison illustration is a very good one because if you have, you know, this giant table of delicious food, but all of it is sprinkled with just a tiny bit of poison, then it doesn't matter what the nutritional content of all the food is. If there's poison, there's poison. And so a little bit of poison goes a long way, right? When Jesus talks about the little bit of leaven, it doesn't take much leaven to make the dough rise, right? And and the leaven of the Pharisees, even though there's so much that's good religiously about the Pharisees, there are these little aspects or, you know, the Judaizers and the church that Paul is writing to in Galatia, they know the truth, they know the gospel, they're just adding one thing to it, circumcision, to added to the gospel message in order for individuals to be saved. And I think... That that's where where the crux of the issue is. I, I just think there there's a component of this where people got to do the work, like really have to be willing to do the work. This is what CRT does. It keeps people looking as though they are the victim. It keeps you in this cyclical pattern. It removes the power of the gospel. It removes what Jesus did on the cross and 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 basically says, man, we're never going to get out of this for this reason unless we make people feel bad. And it turns us ourselves into, uh, it creates a, like a racial idolatry is what it does. It mm. says that the oppressor and anyone from the line of the oppressor to the day that they are gone need to be apologizing to me, need to be repenting towards me, and it's turning me into God. This is, the, this is one, of the biggest, one of the biggest things that I see within the Black community because we have the really hard time of, one, recognizing the, the bad things that happen, but then also talking about the good that comes from our culture, that the good that comes. And, and here's, the, here's, here's a prime example. When you hear CRT, what do people think about? They think about the Black community. <laughs> CRT has become quote unquote the black issue but in and of itself it's supposed to be speaking to all races people are saying that it's like race is across the board but it's become a black and white conversation that in and of itself should give you a glaring red flag that says wait a minute right and I've even had to catch myself in it it's not a black and white issue conversation when we're t if we're talking about race, but because it's been pinpointed to be that, that should be your first 
indicated that this isn't the gospel. I actually brought that up with Neil Troy, and he, and one of the things I think is important that you're saying there is we need to appreciate, you know, that this is an imported idea or an exported idea that's that's going on in the United States. I think this is part of the comedy, though, isn't it? That tells you something 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 should cause you concern to realize that we are exporting U.S. ideologies and issues that are going on in real conversations, no doubt. But it's getting exported all over the world, all over the world. And sadly, what can happen there is then you can miss the important conversation that needs to happen here in Canada or in New Zealand or Australia or wherever it is. And I'm telling you, it's not the same conversation that, that's happening in the United States that needs to happen, you know, in Zimbabwe. Like you don't we don't hear about the indigenous community talking about CRT. You know, like you know what I'm saying? Like in Canada, if we we're gonna talk about CRT, if there's anyone who should be wanting to have that conversation, it would be our indigenous community. Because our government, by and large, and you can say whatever you want, is is failing in a lot of areas when it comes to truly reconciling with the indigenous community. You don't just throw money at an issue, but that's another conversation. <laughs> that's another conversation. But again, we don't talk about that. You know, you think the same thing about what was going on in the States with with black protests. And we started doing that in Canada. And I'm like, our black experience here, while still having racism, is not what happened in the is not what's happening in the States. I should be showing up to rallies for the indigenous community if I'm going to show up to a rally. But we're not doing that, are we? And, we and, and my, <laughs> my point in that just simply is to say worldviews are getting imported and exported without people giving thought to to what they're participating in. And again, what we're trying to do is point people back to the Bible and say, well, the Bible is your, your foundation that you should be critiquing these worldviews from and, and understanding them through. Period. 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 Full stop. You, you mentioned victimhood earlier, right? How mm. critical race theory really kind of zeroes in on victimhood. And, and I think that's correct, but there is another element to it. It's victimhood coupled with power, mm -hmm. right? So in this theory, being a victim actually gives you a certain element of power and oh, uh, yeah. moral authority to speak to other people. And that's why uh, in, in certain critical race groups, black people can tell white people to basically shut up. You don't talk until we give you the permission to talk, right? right. So there is the element of power in it. But the way of the cross, the way of our Lord, is precisely one where you 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 emerge as a victor by laying down this power. Yep. And so that's why when I look at critical race theory and I look at the Christian worldview, uh, it just doesn't fit together precisely because of that. Um, now, I'm not saying because I can see people taking this the wrong way. Uh, I'm not saying, therefore, you know, victims should just remain victims, but I think we should absolutely do everything that we can to make sure you know victims are not victimized anymore. But yeah, I'm not sure, uh, you know, giving people power, whether it's victims or not, you know, the, the solution I don't think is power. Uh, I think the solution is laying down the power. Well, that's that's Matthew five, right? Like <laughs> that is that's what we've been talking about in the beauty of this conversation on identity is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus flips power on its head, identity on its head. Meek shall inherit the earth. 
Jesus on the cross. I'll let you get hop in here, Wes, right away. But Jesus on the cross, it's like they 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 tempted him with the same thing. Hey, if you're truly the son of God, come off of that cross. Hey, if you're truly a child of God, then you, you know what I mean? Like there's always been these temptations to show your power. If you're truly the use your power. Use your power. And Jesus is like, no, I'm gonna stay right here because there's power in in humility. There's power in staying the course that Christ has called me to, because you'll hail me to nail me no matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you think power is. Okay. Last topic that we will just we won't really say a whole lot on this one, but we had Samuel Perez uh, out at the conference who wrapped everything up. I should also mm-hmm. mention that there were a number of great breakout sessions. One of the breakout sessions that I, I just need to apologize for, we only did one and it was made clear in our kind of schedule online, but not as clear as it could have been. We could have, that it was only going to take place once. So my, my apologies, everyone who came to the second session that, that was not happening. I think we realized that it's been a couple years since we've done the conference. We're a little rusty, but we will, uh, we'll get all, we'll get everything figured out for, for next time, including making sure we, we communicate those those things clearly. But that was a great session. It is it is recorded and it was on mm-hmm. same sex attraction, fidelity to Christ or culture. So that was uh Jonathan Bryden in conversation with Samuel Perez. And the very last session, uh, again, those are all on, uh, on the conference recordings. Mm-hmm. Then for the very last session we had Samuel Perez uh talking about a rebranded life. And I one of the reasons why we had that story, and I just want to make quick comment on that. Is I, I think it's important that we hear different stories, particularly within a culture that wants to constantly control the narrative. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things I talked about at the conference is that if you want to control a society, if you want to control a society, you, you control the stories. Yeah. But what stories are controlling you? And so with bringing Samuel, we wanted to share a different story. We wanted to share a story of somebody who found themselves at the end of themselves by pursuing their their passion and pursuing homosexuality, and that ultimately came to Christ, and that's where the freedom was found. Mm. And so, as those of you who were in attendance, Samuel was very passionate about his love for Jesus. Yeah. that That, I think, was the... It was it was such a beautiful conversation because I think, and I remember I constantly kept saying to Andy, I'm like, I'm excited for it because it could be spicy. And it was spicy in a different sense that everything that a lot of people might have expected, like, okay, what's Samuel going to say? As, you know, Samuel sharing his testimony and Andy uh, is dialoguing with him. What it really came down to for people is what I think the entire conference encapsulates is all of these conversations, if they don't lead us back to Jesus, are worthless. And, and I got to bring this up. I know this is a big topic, but one of the things Samuel did that made people very uncomfortable, I could tell from being up there, is he was honest with people. Honest. He was honest. honest. And I hope people appreciated that he was being honest, that, that he wasn't trying to put on a different identity. He was no. he was exactly who he was and and you saw that in his love for Jesus but you also saw that in he wasn't trying to hide anything but man it makes me realize in the church we hide so much yeah i i don't know how you got how that kind of struck you guys but you know some people find are uncomfortable by that that honesty but i thought it was interesting how 
you know, we have this revival that just recently happened in, I always want to pronounce it correctly. Asbury. Asbury. Uh, in Asbury. And when you look at what happened, I was talking with a pastor that was there in the early days of what was happening. And he said, clearly, what was a key to what was happening out there was honesty. It was confession. They were being, they were confessing with each other. They were being honest with each other. And that was bringing freedom. Mm. I, I think that that's something that's difficult for us to fully appreciate that we that we need to be honest with each other. And I hope I hope as people saw Samuel and I had to, you know, his passion, I had to retranslate some things because, uh, <laughs> you know, people I just knew. I appreciate what you're saying, Samuel, but some people are going to misunderstand what you're saying. So let's let's make sure that we're being clear with people. Yeah. Yeah. But that need for honesty. And I think that reaches into different areas, too. Like when you're not honest, I mean, honesty requires vulnerability, right? And when you are invulnerable, if you will, or if you're not willing to be vulnerable, it's going to impact other things like hospitality, for example. Uh, I think hospitality requires a certain amount of vulnerability because you're inviting people to your home. And you know what happens, right? Usually in the name of making your home presentable or making your guests feel comfortable, you feel the need to clean up your house and present it. Not in a day. And so I really do appreciate it when I visit other people's homes and it's a complete mess because I was like, yeah, you're, you're at the end of your rope perhaps, or you're just being honest either way. No, I appreciate here. seeing you. <laughs> yeah, we live here. That's right. And I just imagine though, right. Um, the kinds of things, the kinds of freedom that it can bring us if we're honest and vulnerable with each other, uh, because loneliness, I think at least partly is a byproduct of us not willing to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? And if we are willing to be vulnerable, I mean, we can just imagine the freedom from loneliness that we can achieve in the church. And man, how countercultural that will be. Now, mm-hmm. now, guys, I just one thing with regards to that vulnerability, though, is if you're going to be honest with people, it means that you're going to need to work on what's going on in your life. You can't, exactly. Exactly. You can't keep the sin any longer mm-hmm. because now you've, You've revealed it, right? It's not hidden yeah. anymore. That mm-hmm. See, that's just it. I was just thinking the same thing. Because there's people that'll give you, they'll tell you their story. They'll tell you what they've done. But this, then there's the, the reason why Jesus was like, now go, sin, go and sin no more. Don't just tell me what ailment you have. Don't yep. just tell me the problem you have. That's great. Now go and stop sinning. Because it's in that true repentance that says, I'm no longer going to live this way. I'm actually going to choose the hard way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and that's 1 Corinthians 6.11, right? Paul has this prohibition list that says, you know, you were, and all these terrible things, you were murderers, you were liars, you were cheaters, you were engaging in homosexual practices and idolatry and um, fornication. and But then he follows it up and says, but such were some of you. So he's he's aware, you know, clearly someone had been vulnerable with him because he's like, I know everything you guys were doing, but, (laughs) but you're such were some of you. And he says, you know, you've been washed, washed, you've been cleansed. That's no longer your identity. You don't need to live in that. You are no longer a slave to sin. It was interesting when we were talking on same sex attraction, Jonathan Bryden brought up an interesting point that you guys are talking about there. He's, He's saying, listen, you know, some people will say, oh, this is a hard weight that you have to carry or whatever. But ultimately, you know, with regards to with Jonathan uh, choosing celibacy and, you know, as as he's being faithful to Christ. But we all 
have our own hard road to follow, our own hard burden to bear as we submit ourselves to Jesus and say, no, I, I am not going to follow culture. I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to take my marching orders from him. And that's going to look then different for each one of us. We're all going to have our own burden to bear. And that was something that I once attended a talk by Sam Albury, who wrote the book, Is God Anti-Gay? And that was one of the things that stood out to me very starkly in the Q&A. Someone said basically that, like, "Isn't isn't it too much of a requirement as heterosexual individuals who can get married, who can um, have sex within those parameters, to ask a, a, a man who has same-sex attraction to refrain from his wants and desires in that sense. And Sam simply said, if you think I have to take up my cross any more than anyone else, then you don't understand the gospel. When I went to Whistler after the conference with Samuel, he and I were talking about this. And I, and I thought it was interesting because whether or not you're homosexual or heterosexual, you know, for me, uh, for example, with my wife, it's not like I'm always attracted to my wife, right? But uh, am I always faithful to her? Well, well yes. But I mean, if, if attraction, though, is your, is your gauge, that is going to lead you all over the place, in other words. This is, the, you start to see the difference between fidelity to Christ versus fidelity to culture. Mm-hmm. But it was also interesting with Samuel because Samuel's desire is to get married. His desire is to have a family. He wants kids. And he realizes that that's how that takes place. If I want to be faithful to Christ, there's that. But but I'd like I'd like a family. And so it was interesting talking with him. Maybe we'll have another conversation with him because he's shared with me, yeah, there are females that that I've been attracted to that I could see myself having a family with and and uh and loving. And so it, it's like Boy, is that a different conversation and a lot messier than our culture is willing to talk about and yeah, willing to have that, that discussion. One. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Not ready for not ready for that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah our culture's not yeah. ready for that one. <laughs> no. And um, let the record show, in case Melissa is listening, that I'm always attracted to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Troy, you should wrap us up, man. I was gonna say I'm like, you you're doing them dirty, man. Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare. Oh, my gosh. Um, listeners, I, I hope you, you, you understand as we're, we're trying to recap uh, all of these conversations, all of these, these sessions. It's very, very difficult to, which is why we say get the recording. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a pitch, but it's a pitch. Get the recordings. There's a, there is a lot that was said, a lot that was um, communicated. And I think I speak for our team and I can say pretty boldly that the the lineup of speakers from the breakout sessions to the main sessions that we had are incredible at what they do. They did a great job of articulating, first and foremost, I believe Christ's heart for people. And, and really, as we were planning together, the people that we brought, it was with intentionality. There is not a single person that touched a stage, touched a mic that was just a willy-nilly, we found them in the, at the bottom of a barrel and just randomly hope for the best. No, there was intentionality and prayer that, that, went, that went into it because we understand at bare minimum, the gravity of these conversations have to come from people that are willing to do the work uh, in their own lives to be able to articulate to other people. This, as the saying always goes, is the messenger needs to be more prepared than the message because there, there's lives at stake. 
and hearing testimony of people's lives that were that were changed. You know, I just I just got a DM while we were sitting here from someone who was, you know, sharing a testimony of how the conference impacted them. That's why we do it. And uh, so thank you so much for tuning into the AC podcast. Thank you for coming to the AC conference. Thank you for supporting this ministry, uh, interacting with us on on social media, telling your friends. Um, it, it, mean, it, it means a lot. We we're so grateful that we get to do this with and for people. Um, but I know I know even if we were just sitting there as flies on the wall that we'd be receiving um, that it would be super impactful in our own lives as it as it really has been. So make sure you're subscribed to the AC podcast on all of your favorite platforms. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And till next time, until next year, <laughs> you know the drill. Love God, love people. Bye for now. Love God, love people, love people, love people.